you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. That's where we'll be. We'll zoom through the rest of the Old Testament and arrive at Matthew 1. We've been talking about how God has provided a refuge for the nations, and we did it by going all the way back to Genesis 1. And so if you look at the top of your notes, this is just a, a review of where we've been. The first thing we saw, the first lesson in the series, we saw God's heart. God's heart for the nations is revealed in His plan for creation and His promise of redemption. And we went back to Genesis 1-3 through and we saw that God's plan for creation, and I hope by now you know what it is, God's presence dwelling with God or ruling with God's people over God's place. That's his plan. That's the plan of creation. But then God's promise of redemption. We screwed that up. We messed that up. And so God made a promise of redemption. And that promise was that God's rule with his people in his place would be restored by the promise of the head crusher who would who would conquer the heel biter. And so we saw that. Second lesson we saw, we moved forward in Genesis 4 through 11 and saw God's hope for the nations. The hope is revealed at the end of the rainbow. Okay? We saw that even though man's depravity, uh, alienation increased, the corruption increased to the point where there was a global revolution requiring a global flood. But God made the Noahic covenant with all of creation. He made a covenant through Noah with all of creation. And the Creator unconditionally promises to be faithful to His creation plan on the basis of just His pure love for the creation that He made, the common grace. Then we saw, right before World Outreach, God's blessings for the nations revealed. That God decided after the flood, through the line of Noah, particularly the line of Shem, He would select Abraham. And we talked about the grace of God in choosing Abraham, this pagan, who had nothing in him to say, hey, you ought to choose me. It was purely God's grace. The blessings of the nations are revealed in His covenant with Abraham. And we really looked at Genesis 12, 1-3. And we saw that the Abrahamic covenant with Israel was this. The Redeemer God unconditionally promises to fulfill His redemption promise on the basis of saving grace. So, He makes a promise to be faithful to His creation. But that doesn't mean salvation. That just means preservation. I will allow you to continue to rebel against me, and I will continue to allow the rain to fall on you, the sun to shine on you, the joys of this world, even though you are rebelling. But with Abraham, I will extend saving grace. I will bless this this man and his people in order to be a blessing. And the greatest blessing of all is God's presence, ruling with God's people over God's place. And it's all going to come through this one man, Abraham. Now the question becomes, 
How does the Lord fulfill it? Well, He fulfills it progressively through the rest of the Bible, really. But let's focus on this. The progress of revelation in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. How does God fulfill this plan? Well, we see it unfold through the progress of revelation in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if this was the intent of the series, I'd take you from Genesis to Revelation and I'd show you how the plan unfolds. And I'd also show you, number two there in your notes, the progress of fulfillment of all the covenants in Christ. And so this covenant with Abraham is focused on land, seed, and blessing, but God continues to give these covenants to develop that promise. And so as you move through the Old Testament, you come, you see the promised land is especially emphasized in the Abrahamic covenant, the promised land. He says, I'm going to give you a land. And he has him, he basically has Abraham walk all the way through all the promised land, and he creates altars along the way. He creates sacred space to say, look, by faith, I'm claiming this land. And God says, yes, by my grace, I'm giving it to you. And then you would move forward and see the promised seed in the Davidic covenant. We see that this seed of Abraham is going to be the seed of David, and he's going to be a king, and there's going to be a son of David who will reign not only over Israel, but all the nations. And then finally, in the Old Testament, there is a promised blessing in the New Covenant. The Old Testament ends with this promise in Jeremiah and Ezekiel of a New Covenant. And the blessing of that New Covenant is that God is going to dwell within His people and give them a transformed heart and write His laws on their hearts so that they will obey Him and love Him from a transformed heart. So that's kind of that. But let me show you that through this video. Okay, so here's a video that kind of walks us through that and we'll stop it in the middle right at the point where we are today. So check this out. The Bible is an incredible text made up of 66 different books written by more than 40 authors over a span of a thousand years. It is not just a compilation of a bunch of different stories or a self-help manual or even a devotional book. It is one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God's glory. Let's take a look at his story. In the beginning, God created everything for himself and his glory. At the pinnacle of that creation, He made man so that God could share Himself with others. We were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. But man decided that God couldn't be trusted, that He was holding something back from us. We decided to live for ourselves instead of for God, and this filled the earth with sin and selfishness. The generations of man had soon gone so far off track, in fact, that God flooded the entire earth and started over with a man named Noah. When Noah stepped off the ark, God told him the same words he had told Adam, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Once again, however, humanity looks to give itself honor instead of God. 
Because they all shared the same language, it was easy to communicate and cooperate, so they made a plan. At a place called Babel, they would build a tower up to the heavens, and in doing so, make a name for themselves. They labored to build their own kingdom rather than obey God's command. They had made the same mistake as each of the generations before them. Since mankind had ignored his message to spread his name and his glory throughout the earth, God took matters into his own hands. He scrambled the languages of the people so they could no longer communicate easily with each other. In that moment, God had formed the many different tribes and peoples of the world, so the different people groups spread to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Out of those nations, God chose a man named Abraham and made a covenant with him. God told Abraham that he would bless him and all his descendants, turning them into a great nation that would bless all the other nations. God eventually called this nation Israel, and he began to demonstrate his glory through them in many ways. He gave them a set of laws to live by, so that they could live separate and holy lives from all the other nations. In doing so, they would become his royal priests, mediating between God and man. By living out his commands in the sight of the nations, Israel would encourage people to love God and love others. God also gave Israel a special geographical place on the earth, strategically located in the middle of all other nations. It was in this promised land that Israel would be a light to all nations, showing them the path to God even in the darkness of the world. Sometimes Israel would live out this calling well, understanding God's desire to bless all of the peoples of the earth through them. Other times, though, Israel would fall into the same trap that humanity had again and again, glorifying itself rather than glorifying God. When Israel got off track, God intervened. Sometimes he raised up prophets to remind them of their mandate to bless the nations with the blessings he had given them. Other times he would discipline his people by allowing them to be taken captive by other nations. Regardless, God used Israel, even in their disobedience, to make his name great throughout the earth. But all of this was just the beginning of what God had in store. In all of its ups and downs, Israel grew hungry for a promised Messiah King who would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never be defeated. That, of course, leads us to Jesus. God sent His Son Jesus to Earth for 33 years to dramatically demonstrate the Father's love for both Jew and Gentile alike. Yes, He was from King David. All right, we're gonna. That kind of brings us up. Isn't that good? That's just a good overview, and it brings us right to where we want to be for today. And so, here's what I want you to、uh, to see. Uh, and we'll use some slides that、uh, this is kind of part of a lesson I taught for perspectives. And so I'll use these slides, and maybe they'll help you、uh, to kind of visually see this. So here's what I want to do: We've come to the point to where we're at Jesus, okay? And when you think about it, Matthew one one, the first verse in the New Testament, begins with a genealogy. That begins in this way, Matthew one one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and what is he saying there? He's saying, look, all that you've seen in the Old Testament is now going to be fulfilled through this son of Abraham and this son of David. And then it's interesting that when you look at Luke's genealogy. It ends with these words: the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, 
the Son of God. And so these genealogies wrap up all that was promised, all that was predicted, all the covenants are going to come and be fulfilled in Christ. So what's that mean? It means simply this, and you can look at your notes, God's refuge for the nations is revealed in His Son. God's refuge for the nations is revealed in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what those genealogies tell us. And what we see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is simply this. Jesus is the I Am God who is faithful to keep His covenant promises out of a heart of loyal love. Jesus is that Yahweh of the Old Testament. And what it tells us is, is that the Redeemer God of the Old Testament is going to fulfill His redemption promise. How? By sending His own Son to be the promised seed. His own Son. And so, way back in Genesis 3.15, we said, look, this promise of a head crusher who can survive and conquer the heel biter is going to have to be a God-man. And that's exactly what God does. God the Father, by the miracle of the Incarnation through God the Spirit, sends God the Son to be the promised seed of the woman. And so here's the good news. The living God is a missionary God who became one of us to be a refuge for all nations. The missionary God, or the living God, is a missionary God who became one of us to be a refuge for all the nations. And so the gospel accounts, what we're going to do today is go through the earthly ministry of Jesus and see how he modeled what we should be doing. How he modeled what we heard. You know that Thursday night when we're down here for the World Changer seminar and, and all our six couples talked about how they were a refuge for the nations. Well, we're going to see they are simply following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so we're going to see that. Um, one of the great commissions that isn't often emphasized is John chapter 20, 21, that says, As the Father sent me, so send I you. And sometimes we forget to look at the ministry of Jesus to see how he modeled the Great Commission, or as we've been talking about, how he modeled to be a refuge for the nations. Now, in your notes, we're going to see that he had an inclusive ministry that followed an inclusive method, and he gave us an inclusive mandate. All I want us to kind of focus on is his ministry. But I gave you the rest of the notes, that way you can enjoy them, and you can... Uh, maybe benefit from them. So let's look, first of all, at the all-inclusive ministry of Jesus. Okay? And here's what you want to see. Jesus ministered with a gracious, strategic interest in all peoples. Sometimes we think, you know, He's Israel's Messiah, and He was. And He came to Israel to reveal Himself as their King. But He ministered with a gracious, strategic interest in all peoples. And we're going to just go through his ministry and see how it happened. It begins first in the celebration of his birth. 
the celebration of his birth was so inclusive. And when I use that word inclusive, what do I mean? Including people. Not ex- He didn't exclude any people group from his ministry. He included everyone. And so we see it first in the description of his family tree. You can't get beyond Matthew 1 and the genealogy before you see that in his family tree, there's five women. That alone is inclusive. Okay? That was radical. Out of those five women, four of them, do you realize, were Gentile women. So that's really radical. Here's Israel's king coming through a, the son of Abraham, son of David, you're, you're thinking, the Jews are thinking Jewish purity in this thing. No, there's, five, there's four Gentile women, and of those women, one was sexually molest, uh, a sexually molested woman, Tamar. One was a pagan harlot, Rahab. Another was a pagan widow from a cursed people group, Ruth, the Moabite. And another was Bathsheba, and there's a big controversy now whether she was an adulteress or whether she was actually sexually mistreated. Either way, there's the stain of immorality that is there. And then you have this unknown, poor, teenage Jewish girl. It's amazing, the description of his family tree. But it doesn't stop there. The celebration of his birth was inclusive because the prediction by John's Dad, Zacharias, uh, proclaims at John's birth that Jesus is going to be a light to the Gentiles. This is very interesting. So, uh, John, when he was uh, predicted, uh, when, when the prediction came of his birth, his dad, uh, at his birth, is filled with the Spirit, He's filled with the Spirit, and he says, You, child, shall be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. Now, that's all Jewish. Okay, so you're thinking, okay, that's the way it's supposed to go. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Why? To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Well, who are those people? Well, you got to realize he's quoting Isaiah 9. And when you go back to Isaiah 9, you find that he's saying, later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Who? The Gentiles. So, what I'm trying to show you, and what we're going to see as we move through Jesus' ministry, is He's fulfilling the Old Testament, but the Old Testament talked about the nations. And so, He ministered to the nations. So, sometimes we think that missions all begins with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and we think the Old Testament is all about Israel, and the New Testament then is about reaching the nations, when in fact, that's always been God's plan. Does that help? All right, well, let's keep going. Because it's not just there. Think about the proclamation by the angels to the shepherds. Once Jesus is born, the angels come from heaven 
But who do they reveal himself? Who do they reveal themselves to? They don't go to Jerusalem, the capital. They don't go to the high and mighty. They don't go to King Herod. The angels are sent to some of the most despised, unclean, overlooked people, shepherds. Why? Because Jesus is a refuge for all peoples. And then what do the angels say? It, Christmas is around the corner, Audra, right? Near? Well, we got Thanksgiving first, don't we? Okay, okay, we got Thanksgiving first. But here's the deal. Here's what they say. The angels from heaven celebrate His birth with despised shepherds by announcing good news of great joy, which would be for, do you have it memorized? All peoples. See, so right there, refuge for the nations. And then that announcement ends with this, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. God will show His favor to whomever He chooses. And then, when baby Jesus is born and He's brought into the temple, there is the declaration by the aged believer Simeon about baby Jesus. And here's what happens. Again, this New Testament, this, well, he's kind of an Old Testament believer, but he's pointing to Jesus. And he's quoting Isaiah 42, 49, and Isaiah 60. And here's what you want to do. When you see the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, you always want to go back, you know, if you have time, and read the context of the Old Testament. Because here's what the New Testament writers did. They so knew the Bible that they would quote a verse, but that told their hearers because they were an oral people and they knew their Bibles that when you quoted like, like that verse, they would then think through the whole... Cha uh, they weren't chapters, but you get what I mean. They, the whole story. So like for us... If we would quote John 3.16, we ought to think all of that visit with Nicodemus. You would see this whole context. And when you start reading some of the context of this, it is amazing. So here's what he's saying. He, he looks at baby Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here's what you keep finding in Scripture. God always has this balance between His promise to His chosen people and His promise to the nations. So you don't see in the Bible, and I can take you all the way to Revelation, there's not this idea that Israel is permanently set aside. There is always this idea, hey, Yes, there's going to be revelation to the Gentiles, but this is the glory of my people Israel. This is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises. Does that make sense? And then when you go over here and look at this, whoa, there's just, I mean, look at this. Look at verse 6 here. Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant, uh, predicting Jesus to be the suffering servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, focusing on the promise to Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You'd think we're quoting Acts 1.8. You think you're listening to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You're listening to the Old Testament. And Jesus, at His birth, 
an Old Testament believer, Simeon, filled with the Spirit, sees that fulfillment even when Jesus is just coming to be circumcised. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's amazing to me. And so, and then this climaxes. We're still just talking about his birth. He hasn't even done anything. Okay? The adoration of Jesus as a child of the Magi. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus' birth as the king of the Jews was celebrated by Gentile Magi. And where did they come from? They came from the east. And most likely, you know where they came from? Babylon. Babylon. Now, where do we, you know, that's like the cursed place, right? That's the bad place in the Old Testament. So we're going all the way back to Genesis 11. But in the Old Testament, God had exiled his people into Babylon, and prophets like Daniel uh, and uh, Ezekiel were there, and Daniel had the prophecies of Jeremiah. And so more likely, these guys knew the Jewish predictions, and therefore they traveled and they worshipped. It's amazing that at his birth, the nations, the nations are coming to worship. Israel's king, and they come. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? You know, so they're not saying, hey, he's our king. No, the king of the Jews, we need to submit to him. And we need to be saved by Him. Now, this is just amazing. So far, all Jesus has done is be born. So we're celebrating with Dana and Dana. They, they just had baby Knox. Baby Knox is only going to do a couple, four things for the next year or so. Eat, poop, cry, sleep. That's all Jesus is doing. He was a baby, you know. That's all He's doing. And yet the nations are coming to worship Him. Isn't that amazing? All-inclusive. All right. Well, it doesn't stop there because Jesus' ministry, the commencement of His ministry was all-inclusive. So he, he lived for 30 years. He grows up. And His ministry begins in Nazareth with a rebuke about Old Testament Gentile faith response. So here's what happens. His ministry kicks off in Luke 4. And he's in front of the hometown crowd. And if you want to turn to Luke chapter 4, turn to Luke chapter 4 and we can see how this plays out there in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse, look at four, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about Him spread through all the surrounding district. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place. So he specific. there weren't verses, okay, you know, you know that. There weren't verses back then. But he turns to, he knows the Bible. These guys knew the Bible, so they just could turn there. And he turns there and he finds Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. This isn't by happenstance. He knows where he's going. And here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
I am Messiah, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You know what he just said? I'm a refuge to all peoples. The most despised, the most overlooked, I am going to be their refuge. And he closed the book, the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And when he sat down, he's now going to teach with authority. They wouldn't stand in those days, they would sit. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Because after all, this is the carpenter's son, right? This is that little, you know, we remember him. Now, I don't know, we don't know anything about Jesus' childhood. I mean, how, how do you get in trouble when you're sinless? I don't know. But, but he was still a boy. He was mischievous. He was a boy. Fully boy. Right? We know this guy. We know his parents. And, he, and their, their eyes are fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they know exactly what he means. I am the Messiah. But you're the carpenter's son. I know, I am the Messiah. And so he said to them in verse 20, they say to him, Is this not Joseph's son? Who does this guy think he is? Verse 23, And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. In other words, what they're saying to him is, Look, you have done, at the commencement of your ministry, you've done these great miracles. We want you to do miracles. We don't want to hear about you being Messiah. We want miracles. Think about that. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, and then this is radical, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, somebody we know a few things about, when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. He's just ramping it up. He's saying, look, you've got to understand, in the days of Elijah, when you were being disciplined for your unbelief, I sent my prophet to a pagan, Baal worshiper, who was a widow and a woman. Maybe I should reverse those. A woman who was also a widow. Okay, you get the idea. But my point, his point is, you guys don't have faith. You don't have faith. I, I will respond to whoever has a faith response in me. You want miracles. You don't want a Messiah. And then he says, and he points out to Elisha, who performed a miracle for a Syrian man by the name of Nahum. So here's the point. Here's the idea. Okay, so here, here's what he's saying. The hometown crowd made demands on Jesus. You be our magician. You be our miracle worker. And they presumed a relationship. Hey, we got the inside track. You're the hometown boy, right? And then they made demands. Start doing miracles. But there was not a faith response. And Jesus says, you're missing it. You're missing why I'm here and who I'm reaching. Old Testament Gentiles had no claim on me. They had no relationship with me. They had no rights to me. But what they did have was a faith response of obedience. Isn't that cool? 
He says, hey, I'll, I'll reach out to anyone. But you have to have that faith response. Okay? And so, his ministry begins with a rebuke saying, look, I am here to reach anyone that has an, a faith response of obedience. But then, he based his ministry in the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, this is interesting. So instead of, I mean, here's the king of the Jews. Where should he be hanging out? Where? With Jews. And where would be, where would, where do you find kings? In the palace. And where's the palace located? At the capital. And what was the capital? Jerusalem. Down north. He's going way south in an area that is filled with Gentiles, which Jews would say is unclean. And so he's basing his ministry. And here's what's interesting. At the end of his ministry, he's going to send his disciples to Galilee to give them the Great Commission. But he's already living that out by basing his ministry among the nations. All right? Very interesting. And here's what he said. When Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He's going back to Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. So you keep seeing this repeated quoting, especially of Isaiah 9, of being sent to the Gentiles, people who were sitting in darkness, seeing a great light. It's just amazing. His ministry was all-inclusive. But it doesn't... Well, I'll, I've got a quote there by D.A. Carson that you can see, but let's keep moving. The inclusive ministry was also a concern of his ministry was inclusive. So here's what he does in Matthew 10. First... He sends out his disciples and he says, I want you to go to the Jews and I don't want you to talk to anyone that's except those who are Jewish. And he sends out 12 disciples. What does that make you think of in the Old Testament? What does the number 12 make you think of? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's sending them as the Lord had promised. But then, then the next time he sends out a, a ministry, a group, he says, now go also to the Gentiles, and he sends out 70. Now, what does the 70 make you think of in our study of the Old Testament? Anybody remember? In the table of nations, in Genesis 10, how many nations were there? 70. 70. When he scattered the nations in Genesis 10, there were 70 nations. So what is Jesus doing in his ministry? First, he goes to God's chosen people, and he sends 12 to Israel alone, and then he sends 70 to the Gentiles also. He's saying, look, my ministry is to be a refuge for all the nations, even those nations that have been scattered since, ever since the Tower of Babel. I have a heart for them. But if you really want to see Jesus' heart for the nations, you look at the compassion of His ministry. You look at the compassion of His ministry. 
because it was inclusive. Jesus sought to be a refuge to some of the most despised, wild, overlooked people. Again, if you were here Thursday night, you heard of people that are like this, that the gospel goes to. Well, Jesus modeled this in his own ministry. Think of the demoniac in Gentile Galilee. Jesus goes across the lake to the Gentile area called the Decapolis because there were six cities there and they were Gentile. And the Jews didn't go there because they thought that it's wild, it's unclean, they're ungodly, and they're cursed by God. Jesus says, just the place I want to go. And so he goes over there, and sure enough, what meets him on a shore? A cursed, ungodly, wild man that's naked and out of control, and chains can't hold him, people can't bind him. But Jesus is on the shore. And Jesus heals that demoniac. He delivers him because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And you know what that guy's response is? Jesus, I want to go with you, and I want to follow you. And you know what Jesus says to him? No. Stay home and be a missionary to your Gentiles, because I have my ministry to do, but I have a heart for the nations. Then you move, oh, sorry. Then you move to the Samaritan leper. Remember the ten lepers that were healed by Jesus? Well, guess what? Those lepers were both Jew and Gentile. In that ten, I really believe there was only one who was a Samaritan. I believe the other nine were Jewish. But what does that tell us? They were all lepers. And the second they were lepers, they were all unclean. And leprosy was a picture in the Bible of our sinfulness. Here's the reminder. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. Sin is the problem, and none of us are worthy. Okay, so it was very interesting, because once you had leprosy, it didn't matter who Abraham was your father or not, unclean, okay? And so it's picturing that, well, Jesus heals them all, but who comes back? It's the Samaritan leper, and if you'll read this beautiful story, it's like he runs back and he falls down, and he's just saying, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And Jesus is saying, look, this guy, what he says is, where's the nine? Where's those Jewish guys? It's this, and he says the words in the Bible, it's the foreigner who came back. Why? Because Jesus is a refuge for all the nations. And then we move on, uh, and, and you could go to John, you, you can look, and, and Jesus, he reaches out to Jewish tax collectors like Matthew, a Jewish bad boy. He reaches and talks to a Jewish good boy like Nicodemus. So this isn't restricted. It's Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well in the afternoon. Jesus knows that she is a serial adulterer, adulterer or even a fornicator. We don't know, but she had five, you know, five men, and, and the man you're with is not your own. And yet Jesus is willing to risk public shame and, and as a man, talk to a woman, which in those days were, was looked down upon. And he says to her, well, first he says, I must go through Samaria. Why? Because he had a heart for a woman like this. 
And then he says to his disciples, they come up and say, what are you doing? And he says, hey, the, the, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And what is this lady's response to the grace of God? She makes high sales it to the village and tells everyone, you got to come see this guy. He told me everything I never knew. Do you see the responses of these people? When you're truly born again, you have a heart for God. You want to follow him. You want to worship him. And you want to tell other people about Him. This is powerful stuff. And this is His heart for the nations. And I'm just picking these pictures to kind of modernize for you and get in the mind. I mean, this is a leper. An Asian leper. Well, then you get to the Roman centurion. I mean, he's going to have compassion for the occupiers? You know, this is like a Republican having compassion for a Democrat. Or a Democrat having compassion for a Republican. Or us having compassion for someone who is persecuting us. And he comes to Matthew 8, and this Roman centurion has a servant that is uh, about to die, and he comes to Jesus. But listen, the Roman centurion knows, I have, you gotta understand, this, this is the most powerful empire on earth. He has a hundred men that he orders around and they do his bidding. And yet he sees a Jewish rabbi and says, I'm not worthy to go to him. I'm going to send my servant to him. And the servant comes to him. And here's what's interesting. With all this power that this dude had as a Roman centurion, the real problems in life, he had no power. He had no power about the real problems in here. So he says, go to Jesus. And he sends him to Jesus and says, look, I'm unworthy to uh, come into your presence. I'm unworthy to have you even enter my home. I am totally unworthy. And so I'm sending my servant. Just speak the word, because here's what I know. I've got a hundred men under me, and I have the authority to speak the word, and they do what I say. He's acknowledging, you've got all authority. Just speak the word, and it'll happen. And you know what Jesus says? Here's what Jesus says. I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Then we come to the Canaanite woman and that amazing thing. She too has a daughter. Now here's a Canaanite woman, pagan, magic, paganism, rituals. Guess what? They don't conquer death. See, all these guys, they, they, these two have the resources of the world. But the resources of the world can't deal with the real problem of the human heart. Are you with me? And see, don't get deceived, dear class. We, we've got a lot here in America, and, and we live pretty comfortable. But you know what? We're just as powerless as these two. Okay. So she comes, and what's interesting, he's concerned about his servant. She's concerned about her daughter. And she comes to Jesus and says, Heal my daughter. And she calls him the Messiah. Okay, you, you are the Messiah of the Jews. And Jesus seems to be cruel to her and says, you know, and doesn't even answer her. You know why he did that? Because he was trying to get the attention of his disciples. Because they're thinking, That's right. Don't talk to her. She doesn't deserve anything from us. She's a foreigner. She's a Canaanite. And then she persists and she says, heal my daughter. And Jesus says, uh, I've been called to the house of Israel. 
basically saying, look, you are a Canaanite. I'm the Jewish Messiah. And then she says this, yeah, but even... And, 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 and Jesus says, is it right to give what is for the children to the dogs? And you're like, whoa, what's Jesus doing? Calling this lady a dog, right? But he's, he's making a point. He's trying to get to her heart for the sake of the disciples. He wants them to see... She's not coming based on a right or a privilege. She knows, I don't deserve anything from you. And then she says those wonderful words, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall off the table. And he says, boom! I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. It will be granted to you. He's trying to get his disciples to see that no one has a right to leverage God. We have to come like a Roman centurion that says, I am unworthy. We've got to come like a Canaanite woman that says, look, I don't, you know, I, I just, I don't deserve this, but I'm asking for it. Isn't that beautiful? It's just some beautiful stuff. And then what happens finally in John 12, his compassion is so great that there are Greeks who are pure Gentiles. The Greeks the Gentiles are now seeking out Jesus, and Jesus says, uh-oh, time out. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. I need to go to the cross and draw all men to myself. It's a beautiful thing, because God has this program that's progressively, progressively revealed, and it will be played out as He determines it. But listen, basically, here's the point. And here's a great picture of the refugees' crisis. They're, they're looking for Jesus. They just don't know it. But if Jesus had stayed on the planet, that's what would have happened. They, he would have attracted but He said, no, look, I've got to pay for their sins. I've got to go to the cross. And I've got to go to the cross. I've got to ascend to heaven. The Spirit's got to come down. The church needs to be born. And then I'm going to send the church out to the Greeks. And so there's the story. Is that just not the coolest thing? Now, it doesn't stop there. Well, I'm sorry. I, I've got a, a point here that I don't have in your notes. The conclusion. Let's jump to the conclusion of his ministry. So we've seen his birth, the commencement, the concern, the compassion. Now let's see the conclusion of his ministry. Was it inclusive as well? Yes. Think about when he died on the cross. The Roman government tacked up the charges. Okay, so let me give you your blank because I know there's some. I don't want that. The charge against him this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, was written in three languages, Latin, Hebrew, and Aramaic. The point being, this guy is the King of the Jews, but who's he dying for? All peoples. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody walking by Jesus dying on that cross could have read a testimony of who this was. Not only is it the charge... But secondly, the cross is where the Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. And another Roman centurion who had been ordered to crucify this man 
Jesus dies, utters his last, and this Roman centurion looks up and says, truly, this was the Son of God. So even at the cross, Gentiles were getting saved. Pretty amazing. The all-inclusive ministry of Jesus from cradle to cross. Listen, Jesus was a refuge for men and women. For young and old. Remember when they, they parents wanted to bring their babies so that he would touch him? And the disciples said, oh, no, no. that's not. He's not a refuge for them. And he said, oh, no. This is what the kingdom is made of, is people with a heart like a child, childlike faith. Slave and free, rich and poor, clean and unclean, religious, irreligious, Jew and Gentile. So we end with this. Jeremy, I made it where I wanted to go. We end with this. How do we evaluate ourselves in the following areas? Okay, now just think of, now here, here's, here's what world outreach is all about. Here's why you sat here today. Is to say, how much am I like Jesus? How much is my heart like Jesus? You know, when I see because we see this stuff on the news all the time. We see this. So look at your notes. How do we evaluate ourselves in the following areas? Is my heart as inclusive as Jesus? You know, isn't it funny? Aren't you glad Jesus chooses broken people and hard-hearted people like you and I to serve Him? Because... Jesus has got this all-inclusive ministry, and he's got these 12 disciples, and basically all they do for three years is keep people away from him and occasionally ask to call down fire on a few. You know, they're basically always doing this, push. And Jesus is always moving them out of the way, and he's always beckoning like this, come, come. So what's your heart? Because that's where it all begins. And then, are your prayers this inclusive? Beloved, too many of God's people don't pray at all. And the others that do, and the too few that do, pray too much about themselves and their own people. Listen, God's up interceding for people like this. Don't think for a minute any of these missionaries went where they went praying only for their own families. It started here at home, praying for the nations. Is your compassion this inclusive? Is your mission in ministry? You say, well, how do I do this? I love this saying, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one. So you, you say, well, I don't know any lepers. Do I, have to go, do I have to go live in a leper colony? Is that what you're saying? No. When someone comes across your path, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Faith, promise, commitment. You can't give all the money that the world needs to be reached for Christ, but you can give your part. And I know some of us are strapped financially. Some of us have been blessed in this year. But the bottom line is, when each of us do what each of us can do, and that's combined, and it's offered as an offering to God, He does some great things. Amen? 
I'm always amazed at what God is able to do through our church when we offer ourselves that way. And I end with this. Um, this is a real thing. So like when we went to Romania, uh, Gwen and I and a group of, of, of some of you right here, Jim, is, is that you? Is that you? Man, it's so young. I, okay, that's you. And then my wife, she just hasn't changed, has she? A little less curls. Where do all the curls go? All right, I, I'll just stop right there. So here's the deal. We go out to this gypsy village. So we go from the main Romanian town of Mediash to a gypsy village. And the gypsies are the despised. They are the lepers. They are the unclean of all of Europe. Okay? And this is a beautiful gypsy girl who was in charge of this youth group, this children's ministry that we gave them resource. We gave them flannel graft, the highest technology in all of Christendom. And so we did that. And then we had trained our Romanian friends to disciple them. And so I came back home thinking, this is going to be great. So I follow up with this very godly woman who was my translator. And I'm like, hey, Claudia, how's this going? And she kind of, I'm emailing. It was way back in the day. And so we're emailing, talking, and I'm just not getting any answer. And to cut a, a, a great story short, come to find out, the Romanian believers never discipled these people. And I said, why? And she shamefully, embarrassingly hung her head and said, well, because they were gypsies. And man, that just blew me away. So here's my point. Was Claudia an ungodly woman? No, she's one of the most godliest women I know. You see, she was like Jonah. She knew God. She loved God. But she didn't have a heart for certain people groups. And so that can be you and I. And I hope it's not. I hope that last week in this lesson that we will be like Jesus and be a refuge for the nations. Is that good? That's just good stuff. Let's pray because we need it. Father, we come and, and uh, you know, it's not just uh, Romanian believers. It's us. It's us right in this room that we can be less... Uh, we can be hard-hearted, and we can close off our compassion to certain people who do certain things or look certain ways or act or believe things that are so contrary to us. And, and we can close off our heart. We can be Jonah. And we can say, God, I know you're compassionate, and doggone it, if they hear about you, you're, you more than likely you'll save them. And Jonah was mad about that. And Jonah needed to repent of that. And Lord, maybe here right now in our room, we need to repent of not having the compassion that you have and not being that refuge that you were on this earth and that you now have commissioned us to be. So Lord, whether it's by giving, faith promise, whether it's sharing the gospel with a co-worker. It's all of that. But it begins in our heart. And so, Lord, do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.